Proverbs, the book of wisdom, chapter 3, verse 27, says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it's in your power to do so. So we understand that when something is due to someone, the recipient is qualified to receive it, right? You have bills that come in the mail, and on that bill is a due date. And you have to pay because you've used somebody else's resources. Electricity, water, you borrowed money from a bank for a student loan. They performed your request. Now they're qualified to receive that payment. You work on a job. You know that in two weeks, generally, your paycheck is due if you worked. If you worked, you're qualified to receive the paycheck. It's due you because you are qualified. But often we fail to understand that people have to be qualified to receive even help. All entitlement comes to the person qualified, so you're only entitled when you're qualified. So to receive help, even God's help, you have to qualify yourself. So I'm going to give you real fast some characteristics of people you can't help. You love them, you want to, but you can't help them. Number one, you cannot help people who refuse to disconnect from the wrong people. You can't. They want help, but they refuse to separate from the people contributing to their problem. I remember counseling a woman that's been married to an alcoholic for over 15 years. He beats her up on a regular basis. She stays in counseling, but she won't leave him. How can we help her? Right? You can't help anybody. She won't disconnect. Whatever the reason, fear, uh, lack of security, she finally did. But look at the 10 years she wasted. Sad, 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 sad. You want to help people, but you can't because they won't disconnect from the people causing the problem. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, don't be deceived. Don't get faked out. Bad company will corrupt good habits or good morals. All of us have been around people that brought out the worst in us and some folks that bring out the best in you. Is this rocket science? I No, everybody in here has been affected by this to some degree. Who you're connected to will either empower you or weaken you. Joshua was connected to Moses, and he was empowered. Samson was connected to Delilah and 90 pounds of pantyhose and was weakened. <laughs> Whoever you're connected to will either weaken or empower your life. So, when there's weakness in your life, check your connections. You can't stay connected to wrong people and expect right results. God will never direct you with a fool. When Jonah ran from the Lord and got in a boat, God sent a storm that threatened the ship and the crew. When the sailors threw Jonah overboard, the storm stopped. You know, some of you need to throw some people overboard and your storm would stop. Hello. Number two, you can't help somebody who has no respect for proven achievers. You won't attract what you don't respect. If you do not respect achievers, you won't attract them into your life. So here's a question. Is your mentor or advisor a proven achiever? Hang around wise people. Read books of wisdom. Don't tell a proven achiever what you're going to do. He or she could care less. Listen for truth. Shut up and take notes. When we built this building, the board and I, we flew many times to different mega churches 
We said, we want to take you to a beautiful steak dinner, and we want about an hour of your time, and we want to know what you wouldn't do again. What did you learn building that building? We've never been in anything that big, never financed anything that big. We're here to learn from you. And you know what? Every single one of them gave us great advice on what they wish they hadn't done, which meant we might make some mistakes, but we won't make those mistakes, right? We went to proven achievers. You know, if your uncle's broke, don't ask him about money, right? Right? You know, I wouldn't ask Elizabeth Taylor for advice on marriage. <laughs> Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So who's giving you advice? When Jesus came into his own hometown, they wanted to know, who does this guy think he is? This is in Mark chapter 6. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get all this wisdom, they said? Uh, what is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Why, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they were offended in him. Oh, by the way, I don't know what your theological background is, but Mary, this virtuous, beautiful woman who, who had the Son of God as a virgin, went on to have a lot of kids. I just named them for you. They're in your Bible. Some of my lovely Catholic friends here have been taught Mary didn't have sex. She just had a virgin birth, and then she ascended into heaven without having kids. Well, I just named over six. So Mary was fully engaged as an adult married woman after Jesus was born. Is that right? You know, it's amazing if you read the Bible, it, what kind of trouble you get in. Just read, read the Bible. Jesus said to them, if a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among relatives and his own home. See, you get familiar with people. He couldn't do many miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So they didn't think Jesus was qualified to talk to them. So they missed their visitation. Years ago, uh, an African-American neurologist was a part of our church, and he was telling me that uh, this white gentleman came uh, on a doctor's recommendation to come see him. And when the man discovered Dr. Gordon was a uh, neurologist, but he was African-American, he didn't want him to treat him. And so Dr. Gordon charged him for the visit anyway <laughs> and said goodbye. But the point was, you're telling me you're going to pick somebody on the basis of skin instead of their ability, yeah. their skill. Yeah. Now, I'm going to meddle with you right now. This, I'm going to take a, a departure from typical Christian thinking. If you want a mechanic for your car, you're out of warranty, I want a good mechanic. You say, well, I, do you know a Christian mechanic? No, but I know a great mechanic. Which do you want? If I'm going to a doctor, I'm not going for a Bible study. I'm going for surgery. Who is the most proven achiever in that field? I don't care if he worships a green frog. I'll take care of God. He'll take care of my body. And the talent he has was given to him by God anyway. 
So I pray, God, guide this surgeon, guide his hands and skill in an excellent way as he operates on your covenant child. If you're in legal trouble, you want a great, mean, smart, know-the-law attorney, Christian. Now, if you get a Christian who happens to fall into that category, good. But if your life is on the line, you want to prove an attorney I don't care if he's Jewish. I don't care what he is. Maybe he's not anything, but he has absolutely got a record of being one of the most esteemed winning attorneys. That's the man I want fighting for me. I'll do my praying on my own. I know my Bible on my own. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? If you have a Christian, wonderful, but I want the best person because they're not doing a Bible study on you. They're doing dentistry or surgery or law. Or a mechanic. So some of you are just as shocked as a raccoon on I-35 looking at an 18-wheeler. That is the most common sense I ever heard in my life. Just because somebody in the Yellow Pages has a fish sticker doesn't mean they have proven ability at all. Okay. Number three, you can't help somebody who wants what you have but not your wisdom, not your advice. Isaiah 4.1. I love this. Some of you have never heard this verse. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man. Seven women are going to take hold of one man. What day is that, Lord? <laughs> you ever seen that in the Bible? In that day, oh, you did not. Half of you never saw it in your life. Seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food, provide our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Just take away our disgrace. Watch this. Some people want what you have, your benefits, but they don't want your wisdom and what's in your heart as to how you achieved it. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, wanted his father's kingdom, but not his father's best advisor's wisdom. He rejected it. He took the wrong advice from an idiot and split the kingdom. What a fool. See, most folks don't want your wisdom. They want to waste your time, whether it's about money, marriage, children, business, or church ministry. They want relief. They don't want change. Mark 10, the rich young ruler, wanted what Jesus offered, but he didn't want Jesus' advice, and he went away sad. I see people we could help, but they don't want your counsel. They don't ask for it. Don't waste your time with these people. Even Jesus said, don't cast your pearl before swine. You're just wasting your time. Fourth characteristic of people you can't help. You can't help somebody who thinks everybody else is the cause of their problem. Personal responsibility. Genesis 3 verse 12. The man said, the woman you gave me, she took the fruit and I did eat. She caused the problem. Then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Everybody's blaming everybody. Job had to repent because he thought God was his problem. But in fact, it was the devil stealing from him. Jesus said, get the beam out of your own eye before you get a splinter out of your brother's eye. Matthew chapter 7. Especially in marriage, as long as you think they are the cause of all the problems, you know, God can't help you. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but if you feel like in any conflict you don't share some responsibility... You're totally deceived. So we have to take personal responsibility for our lives. My grandfather used to say, if four people call you a jackass, buy a saddle. 
everybody is not wrong. Every employer was not wrong. Every uh, ex-spouse was not wrong. Okay? The problem is usually sin and selfishness. Fifth category. Are we okay so far? All right, y'all awful quiet. I'll see if I can't get Bishop Curry to come shake you up a little bit like he did at the royal wedding. I thought that was great. Uh, British aristocracy got a little folksy soul and reality. And then stand by me. Oh, man, was that great? I loved it. I loved it. I was talking to John Gray. And he said, you know, it's amazing. People got up at 2 a.m. to watch a wedding of people they don't know, and they can't get to church on time. <laughs> Fifth category. <laughs> you can't help somebody who hasn't tasted the pain of being wrong or a failure. When the prodigal son took his inheritance and left home and wasted it, the daddy didn't chase him. The father had to allow his son to go through the process of tasting pain, the pig pen. And after the prodigal comes to the end of himself in a pig pen and realizes what a fool he's been, he repented. He changed his mind, and he went home, and he apologized. King David wasn't open to counsel until he experienced the pain of his adultery. The Bible says if a man takes fire in his bosom, he's going to get burned. David thought he could have pleasure any way he wanted. Then in Psalms 119, verse 67, he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. David's affliction came because of his disobedience. Trouble often comes in our life when we fail to follow the instructions. You get a ticket on the interstate. I don't get mad at the policeman. I broke the law. And for, and for that, I face consequences. Quit crying. It's not my fault. You have to taste the pain of being wrong. Otherwise, you'll appreciate nothing and wreck everything. When Israel disobeyed God, they suffered consequences. Oh, I'd say so. 40 years in the wilderness? I played football in high school in the 50s with a 22-year-old married man. He was old, but he was dumb. Back in the 50s, you didn't get promoted until you were qualified. You had to pass to get promoted. Getting old doesn't mean you're smart. See? Don't blame the teacher if your kid won't study, won't pay attention. Let them suffer the pain of being wrong. If you don't, you'll never be able to help them. So David goes on to say, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. Verse 71, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And that's what we do when we discipline our little children. We're trying in a, in a measured way to have a little bit of affliction in order that they might learn our parents, us, our way. Say, we don't do that. That's not allowed. No, no, no. Affliction. And then hopefully they don't want to do that. So David, is this hard? I, okay. This is kindergarten 101. I, I, this is easy. If you don't pay attention in life, folks, you're going to pay somebody. You're going to pay a divorce attorney. You're going to pay a policeman. You're going to pay a lawyer. You're going to pay somebody. If you don't pay attention, oh, you're going to pay. You're going to pay somebody. Number six, you can't help somebody who's unteachable. You can't help somebody who's unteachable. Proverbs 18, verse 1 and 2. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. 
Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. See, refusing to follow someone's instruction when they give it to you is proof you don't respect their credibility. And the reason we suffer consequences in our lives is because we often refuse to believe in the credibility of God's Word. See, instruction precedes a miracle. You can't have a divine result without a divine pattern. Don't you remember back in the Old Testament when Moses had to meet God face to face and God gave him uh, the dimensions and pattern for the tabernacle of Moses? And God says, now Moses, see that you build it according to the pattern I showed you in the mount. Don't change it. Do it like I told you. And God would inhabit it. You know, God says the same thing to us today. He's got a divine pattern in that Bible for marriage, for finance, for health, for relationships, for business, for everybody. And the miracle of turning water into wine at a Cana wedding occurred because somebody was willing to follow instructions. They believed in the credibility of Jesus' words. See, we demonstrate we believe in the credibility of the Bible when we're willing to follow the instructions. Every product made comes with an owner's manual. You know, to get the promised benefit, i got to obey the owner's manual. Whether it's a TV, a DVD player, or a car, it always says, before you use, read. And the reason people misuse things is they don't read the instructions or they just plain ignore them. Anybody but me ever put together a play set for your kids and you had parts left over <laughs> and you didn't read, you said, I can do this. And I'm thinking, dang, what, look, where does all this go? This, this got to go somewhere. <laughs> then I have to go back and get the plans and kind of figure out, where did I miss it? Because I didn't read the instructions. Anybody but me ever do that? Okay. Or you take your car in for service, and there's a couple of bolts in the ashtray when you get it back, and I'm thinking, they came from somewhere. Where did they come from? They should go back in the car. It goes on all the time. Refusing to obey is proof you don't believe in God's credibility. Therefore, he can't help you. See, we often want God to do things in our lives, our marriages, our finances, etc., but we don't want to follow the instructions. I mean, the word says the way to get the world says the way to get ahead is to hoard it, keep it. God says, "Give it." So, whose credibility do you believe? Being stuck on what you think is right when there is evidence what you are thinking is wrong is proof you are unteachable. And having an unteachable spirit will keep even God from helping you who loves you. An unteachable spirit comes when your mind is made up, you're going to do what you're going to do no matter what the facts are. So they just never learn. They keep making the same mistake, marriage after marriage, job after job, relationship after relationship, over and over. They refuse to learn and can't be helped. Some people don't have 15 years experience. They just have one experience for 15 years. They haven't learned anything. Learning from your mistakes is often not true. These people make the same mistake 20 years, and it's never their fault. Remember. What you can tolerate, you'll never change. But when you get to the place you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll finally do something about it and change. Yeah. Well, 2 Kings 5 has the story of Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. He's a great man, and he's highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory. He's a valiant soldier, but he's got leprosy. 
And so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of the prophet Elisha's house. He had been told the guy could heal him of his leprosy. And that leprosy was incurable. So Elijah didn't even go out to meet this general. He just sent a messenger out to say, go wash seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be healed. And Naaman went away mad and angry and said, I thought the guy would surely come out, stand up, call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand all over, do hallelujah 400 times and heal me of my leprosy. He'd been watching Christian TV too much, see? And he says, aren't our rivers in Damascus clearer and better than all the waters of Israel? Yeah, indeed they were. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, you'd have done it. How much more when he told you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman had leprosy. He wanted to be healed without following God's instruction. It wasn't logical to him, and he almost missed his miracle. You can be successful in a lot of areas of your life, but there's always a part of you that's got leprosy. Some area of your life, kind of rotten. Maybe you got a, you got a great business, but you got a lousy marriage. Or you have a great marriage, but your finances are rotten. Leprosy becomes that area of your life you're unteachable in. You won't do what God said. Any area of your life that's decaying is because you're unteachable in that area. People struggle with money. In a little while, we'll introduce our financial freedom graduates here on the front. All they're learning from the sitters is how to manage your finances in a biblical way. God gives us a pattern even for our money. But most people just blow it off, and they say, would you pray for me? We are in financial problems. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to pray to get money. Nowhere. It says, give, and you shall receive. And in the same measure you give, it shall be given to you. It's in your court. All you got to do is hit the ball. And what they're trying to do, whether it's marriage counseling or handling your finances, to say, look, do it the way God said and reap the reward. And then take his promises to look after you all your life. Been doing it since I was 18 years old. So Naaman did not exhibit a teachable spirit. He's trying to get his healing without learning anything. Nobody can tell him anything. And he didn't approach the prophet with an attitude of submission. He came with a know-it-all attitude. So Elijah said, go out, go down to that old muddy river, wash yourself seven times. He didn't even come out and talk to him. He just sent a delegate out there. And Naaman went away mad, angry. I thought he'd come out and breathe on me and throw his coat on me and wave his hand and play a few choruses of just as I am or something. He had his mind made up how it ought to be done, and that's like us. So he goes away mad, mad that he didn't do it like he thought it should be done. Sometimes we are so set on the spectacular, we miss the supernatural. God doesn't need the spectacular to perform a miracle. All he needs is my obedience. Verse 12. Aren't the, our rivers better than yours in Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them? So he's trying to reason. He wanted what he wanted the way he wanted it. Give it to me on my terms. And then the servants of Naaman said, come on, Dad. Just do what the man said. You got an incurable disease. What do you got to lose? So 
the officers graciously entreated him to stop being unteachable, do what the prophet said. And in verse 14, it says, so he finally went down, dipped in the Jordan seven times, just like the man of God told him, and was healed. And his flesh became like that of a young boy. Naaman had to change his mind and become teachable, and God healed him. But you can't help somebody who's unteachable. Number seven, you cannot help somebody who continues to make excuses. Luke 14, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I've got to go and see it. Please excuse me. I've said for years, excuses are the crutches of the uncommitted. It's another way to say, I don't want to do what you asked me to do. Excuses are fig leaves to cover up our rebellion. People who want to avoid commitment make excuses. Successful people make progress. Unsuccessful people make excuses. And just beyond your excuse is a miracle you need. And as long as you're making excuses, you'll remain where you are. Last, number eight. You can't help somebody who refuses to accept a scriptural solution to their problem. See, whatever problem you have, God has an answer in his word. Satan knows that book has living words in it that can change your life. First attack in the Bible by Satan was when God told Eve what to do, and Satan immediately says, hath God said, he doesn't mean that. Surely he's out of touch with reality. He's afraid you'll be like him, and here comes that reasoning, and you're going to get it every day of your life. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction. And some people say, well, men wrote that book. Really? What man would write, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church? If men wrote it, they'd say, husband, cheat on your wives. No teenager would write, children, obey your parents. They would have written, rebel. God's Word is the solution for every problem you have in life. Domestic problems, social problems, financial problems can all be solved with God's Word. So, whenever you refuse God's Word, you disqualify yourself from supernatural intervention. Conclusion. You know, all my life, I want to help people do better. I love helping people, and I want to believe you're here today because you want to be helped. You want help not just relief. Big difference. You want to grow in every area of your life. So allow the Lord to speak to you in any of these areas we've just talked about and decide to make a change. You know, maybe God's already revealed some area or areas in your life where there's conviction. You feel convicted about it. Remember, that's not condemnation. Conviction, he says, here's what's wrong. Here's what to do to fix it. That's not condemnation. That's conviction. Conviction is good. It leads to change. Change leads to victory, success, blessing, and prosperity. So some of you need to make a decision and a commitment today. Some need to start something. Some of you need to stop something. Others need to make adjustments in your thinking, attitude, or actions. And some of you need to begin by taking the first step towards help, and that's believing and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's a reputable, infallible, guide. There's no better way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.